Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Ziggy Rodriguez. Yes. And Thomas P. Present. You guys, uh, you know what? It's uh, it's wonderful. And so here's a check for you guys and for all of our listeners. Are your Christmas lights still up? Because it's like it's the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord. And technically, that's part of the Christmas. It's the end of the Christmas season. Epiphany. That's yeah, the key. Right? So it's like, well, it's the week at following Epiphany, right? Yeah. And so here we are. And uh, a lot of people have probably already put them away to stop listening to Christmas music. But me, I'm still Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. My ours are still up, and my, well, you know, my family we're we're uh, I'm half Puerto Rican, and so the Puerto Rican tradition is to keep Christmas lights on and decorations up as as long as possible. Right. Okay. So, like in my book, that's laziness. Now, I'm not saying Puerto Ricans are lazy. I'm just saying when mine stay up long, it's because I'm lazy. But you're not saying that about your no, family. No, I'm saying that we're just very y'all festive. love to party. We do. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know no, what? No, not at all. If you're gonna if you're gonna make I'm a going season, you can make a season linger. Let it be Christmas. Yeah. It's never long enough. It's yeah. True. Not cold season. You don't want to let that or flu season. Don't no, we don't linger. want that. But I'll tell you, Christmas season is a beautiful thing to linger. So. Here we are. We're, we're you know, so I guess it's the last time we can officially say Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. That's right. And so, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna we're ending Christmas with uh, a little dip in the water in the baptism of the Lord. And so that that is an interesting uh, topic because I, I get a lot of email. And by the way, send me an email, Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe dot com. If you have questions or things you'd like us to talk about. Or things you don't want us to talk about anymore, you know, like Tom's hair or whatever. No one will ever request that. No, I don't think so. He's got a nice head of hair. And a nice line of hair products that he's selling. (laughs) That's coming coming next. Go to the website, thecatholiccafe.com, and you can probably see something there. Two for one sale with a Thomas P. Dorian stud juice. Anyway, anyway, I get a lot of emails that, uh, that want us to focus on the baptism of the Lord and ask that there's like a question. There's a kind of a conundrum, I think, that a lot of people have. If I were to ask you guys, what is baptism for? You would tell me the obvious, you know, the Catholic teaching about baptism, and it's for the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. becoming uh, a member of the church, uh, uh, an adopted son or daughter of God the Father, adopted brother or sister of Jesus, you know, you're, you're, you become a member of the family. And, uh, and so those would all be right things, but the thing is... In the scriptures, we know that Jesus got baptized. In fact, we just uh, read from this uh, weekend's readings uh, from the gospel according to Luke in the third chapter. It says, The people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You know, that's a beautiful little story, but I mean, slipped in there is Jesus was baptized. And so knowing what we know about baptism, we should spend a few moments and talk about why in the world would Jesus get baptized? 
right? If baptism saves you, Jesus had no need to be saved. So what is it that we're supposed to view or understand about Jesus' baptism? And so we thought it would be good to go over some reasons why Jesus got baptized, right? To answer that question. Um, and actually, you, you might think like, well, I, I don't know, but we came up, I came up with five. There may be some more, uh, but we'll go through the five that I have and uh, see if we can't expound upon them a little bit. So the first one I have written down here is that Jesus, so Jesus was a teacher. Mm-hmm. He was a consummate teacher and always trying to set an example, turning the other cheek, total self-gift, loving your neighbor, all these things that he, that he not only taught us, but he lived as an example and so in setting an example for us, Jesus got baptized so that he could say, look, I approve of this whole John thing, this whole baptism thing. In fact, I'm going to make it a cornerstone of my church, right? That you are baptized into this church. And so basically Jesus got baptized to set an example for us. Do like I'm doing. Perfect do what example. I do. Yeah. So, I mean, we Jesus said, follow me. Well, if he's walking through the Jordan, we're supposed to walk through the Jordan as well. And that's what we do when we, when we get baptized, when uh, we bring our little babies up to the priest or the deacon uh, and say, dip them, please, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a little more of a ritual to it than that. <laughs> Unless you get, only get the, like, the $1 baptism. It's for, baptism's free. Don't listen to me. <laughs> well, you know, and it, just one thing about the relationship between baptism and, and salvation and thinking about Joshua of the Bible being an image of a prefiguring Jesus, you know, and Joshua is the one that Moses handed it over to Joshua to actually lead the people into the promised land. Yeah. How did they do it? Through the Jordan. That's right. And Jesus is leading us into the promised land via the Jordan, uh, Yeshua. Oh, all right. You can go a little further back than that. Yeah. And uh, how did, in, in the Exodus, where did Moses take the people? They were saved through water. Yes. Right, so they were saved through the Red Sea, which miraculously opened up for them to pass through. We've all seen the movie, right? Cecil yes. B. DeMille, long live his movie. Um, yeah, so it's beautiful to see that. Now, um, the, the, another reason that I wrote down here was that um, it's a, a sort of a small T tradition that, that Jesus, in getting baptized, actually consecrated the waters. Mm-hmm. Right, so the so basically, it's like his his action um, as as he had command over nature when he demonstrated by walking on water, um, and certainly, certainly turning bread into his body. So it's like it's obvious that uh, uh, that when he's getting baptized, the church has always seen that as a way of consecrating all of the waters, so that then. Once everyone got baptized thereafter, it wasn't simply for as a repentance for sins. It was also, as John said, baptized with fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the fire of the Holy Spirit. So now it's going to be like this water's on fire now, right? This is this is this water's doing something. It's like supercharged because Jesus got baptized. It seems like it also is a fulfillment of God's word to Noah that He's not going to destroy the world through water anymore. Now he's saving the world in part. Yeah, that's interesting. Water. Yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition there uh, that what would have been the uh, the element of our destruction is the element of our salvation. Yeah. How beautiful that is. And that's, again, God using nature. Um, and yet another example. Uh, this is interesting if you see it this way. 
Obviously, John's was a baptism of repentance. You know, mm-hmm. repent of your sins and be baptized, be washed clean, right? And so even though Jesus had no sin and had no reason to repent, he actually sort of took on our sin and took on our repentance. He, he repented for us, mm-hmm. on behalf of us. And so essentially it was the one, once and for all time sort of I'm doing this so that when you do this, everything's washed clean. Right? I'm making that possible. And so basically G- Jesus identified. He, he identified with sinners by taking on, uh, taking on sin. It's consistent, too, with you know our Blessed Mother. She was conceived without sin, and what was the curse of that women had within, in Genesis was wailing and childbirth. Mm-hmm. What do we hear from Revelation 12? The image of her when she gave birth was wailing in birth, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and so in the same way that Jesus, who was without sin, he still he stepped into the experience, our experience. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So then here's another one. Now, this is one that a lot of people, you have to kind of, I put your uh, little Jewish history hat on here. But um, John is from the tribe of Levi. So John the Baptist is from the tribe of Levi. Which, and he's a direct descendant of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood. So what we see in the baptism of our Lord, in the Old Testament, the job of the priest was to present the sacrifice to the Lord. So here is John publicly presenting the ultimate sacrifice, the, the, the once and for all sacrifice to the world. So it's, it's his priestly presentation of that. So that's kind of like, it's like thinking like, God has got all this stuff together. And that's, that's deep. That, that's, that's, that's really deep. cool. That's <laughs> that really cool. cool. So a lot of people don't think of it that way. They mm-hmm. think of he's, that John is some crazy guy eating, uh, what, wild honey and locusts. And mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, he's a priest. Yep. You know, he's, he's, he's a direct lineage of the Levitical priesthood uh, of Aaron. And it's like, uh, this, is, this is a beautiful sign of the priest offering the sacrifice. Here he is. And we right. quote him in every liturgy of the Eucharist, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Wow. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. So that's a beautiful thing that John does. And then the last one I have written down hmm. is this. And, and it's like, it may not be a reason so much as a, a, a revelation. And that is that we see in this little image, this story of Jesus' baptism, we see really maybe for the first time in, in Jesus' public ministry, but also in scriptures, the revelation of the Trinitarian God. We hear the voice of the Father. And you see the Holy Spirit which descend. The Holy Spirit descends upon the Son. That's right. So we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all three together in a public way, where all the people there witness the Trinitarian God, you know, present among them. And it's, it's like, that's kind of profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an opportunity. It's there specifically because of the baptism of the Lord. Isn't that cool? Totally cool. Yeah, so you, 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 when you hear that kind of stuff, I'm sh- you know what? There's probably some theologians out there shaking their head and saying, Deacon Jeff forgot a few, and I'm sure there are other reasons that you could, you could uh, draw out, but just these five right here and the ones, uh, Sam, that you sort of like added on into, into the middle of these uh, really just help you understand that like this is a profound event. The baptism of the Lord. It's not something we should ignore and think like, well, big deal. So Jesus got baptized. And certainly if we think um, that we don't know why Jesus had to get baptized, then we don't fully understand why we're why we getting baptized as well, right? And what we do with our baptism. And so that's what we want to talk about next. I think we want to transition now and talk about what it is, what it means to be baptized 
and how we live out our baptismal promises and how we do that every day. Uh, we're going to do that in just a second. Before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, uh, you know what? You need to hit us up on uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, right? Like, share, comment, do all those things. Please. Yes, as Sam so humbly says, please, he begs. And uh, also, send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be right back. I'm Bester Zemski, and this is another great moment in church history. Born in England in the late 7th century, a man named Winfrith felt called to the monastic life and joined the Benedictines at an early age. It was not long before he flourished in the faith and became recognized as a powerful conduit for the Holy Spirit to all those he encountered. Tradition tells us that the Pope himself changed Winfrith's name to Boniface, a name that means good fortune. St. Boniface was very well thought of in the Catholic Church in England and would have most definitely excelled there, but he felt a burning desire to carry the gospel message to those who were not yet Christians. He focused his attention on continental Europe, where a colorful array of pagan religions was beginning to take root. With an evangelistic zeal, he crossed the seas and found himself settled in Germany, where he went to work straight away sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. One story is told of how St. Boniface had become so distressed by the pagan worship of trees in Germany that he decided to go to the public square and cut down a giant oak tree dedicated to the god Thor. The townspeople looked on in horror, fully expecting Thor to avenge the horrid deed and punish St. Boniface. But nothing happened. They became convinced that the god of St. Boniface, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the one true god. Many were converted to Christianity because of this one simple act on the part of St. Boniface. As St. Boniface entered his 80s, he resigned all his positions of leadership and once again went back to his roots of the simple missionary life. Though he was advanced in years, he was still a compelling force for the church. He converted many to Catholicism, but at the same time made his enemies all the more jealous of his successes for God. In 754, St. Boniface and 53 of his followers were murdered by a band of pagans determined to stop the continuing spread of Catholicism. Without any resistance whatsoever, they quietly laid down their lives for Christ and his church. St. Boniface was lovingly referred to as the Apostle of the Germans. Recalling the years that St. Boniface worked in Germany, a well-known German church historian stated, To us, this was a period of light when the light of the gospel and of Christian civilization came to us. The feast day of St. Boniface is celebrated by the Universal Church on June 4th. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I am still Deacon Jeff. Hasn't changed since we took a little break there, although sometimes I feel like I need to. But that's a whole other show. <laughs> he's sitting here with uh, Ziggy Rodriguez, yes. and we're sitting here with uh, Patrick, I, TP. Hi, lad. Yeah. <laughs> Dorian. And uh, so we're talking about 
the baptism of the Lord. We are. And so we're going to slide. We just talked about some really interesting reasons for the baptism of the Lord and things that we can we can yield from that or get from that. Um, but now I, I, I think it's kind of neat uh, to go back to what the Lord, that the Father says to Jesus. Mm. Right? We hear the voice from the heavens. Uh, this is my beloved Son mm-hmm. in whom I am well pleased. You know, and there's a lot to be, uh, I don't know, gleaned from that. Um, not just that that's his beloved son, but so if we, when we get baptized, we are essentially adopted by God, right? We're, we're in the family. So the father is our father, and we call him our father, mm-hmm. which means we're brothers and sisters to Jesus. Right. So in that adoption, if Jesus is beloved, I mean, essentially, what that should tell you is that we are beloved. Mm. And you know what, Sam? I I think people in this day and age have a real hard time feeling that they are beloved. Oh, yeah. I mean, opening themselves. I mean, if you you break that word down, be loved. Mm -hmm. I I think people don't want to let themselves be loved a lot. I mean, do you you sense that? Oh, I definitely struggled with that for, for many years. You know, I resisted. Letting uh, others love me, letting God love me, and really receiving that. And uh, it can really also be an obstacle to loving oneself as well, meaningfully and authentically. Right. Now, you spend a lot of times in the, a lot of time in the psychiatric ward there. Over there the third oh, yes. Floor. The electroshock therapy <laughs> fixed everything. <laughs> no. No, you didn't. But, but, get mail. But, uh, but, but, but in all honesty. No, they still though, do that, actually, I yeah. think. So, sure. but, but in all honesty, you know, this idea of, of being loved. You know, it does. I'm not talking about it's not a mental illness, right? It's, it's, I mean, I know that there are people, and we don't make light of that. I mean, there are people that are, that are in desperate situations that require therapy and medications and they, uh, special treatment and all this kind of stuff. I totally understand that. But I, I think the average Joe and Jane that's kind of walking through the world really does have a problem being loved and allowing themselves to be loved. If you, and, and I use this as the, the example of why I think that. Because I don't think there's ever been a time in the world where we have sold more unctions and potions and salves and creams and uh, colors and, and uh, uh, you know, surgical procedures and everything to make us feel better about ourselves. I, I think in humanity, our self-esteem has gotten so low that we, we do everything from, from our wardrobe to... To, to excessive working out. Look at Sam. He's lost so much weight. You're a healthy young man, and I'm proud of you. Well, thank you. But, you know, if you suddenly turned into like a toothpick because you, you kept doing that, you'd say that was some kind of excess. And I would think that maybe there was a little something underlying that, right? And that's not the case going on with you, Sam, certainly. But but don't you see that like this this hyper-focus on um, on you know how what what we look like and how we look to others and being proud of ourselves and whatever tells you that we're 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 having a difficulty accepting ourselves for who we are. And I think there's a couple of aspects to it. One, I think that we have trouble really accepting that love is a free gift, that the love of God, that there's no strings attached. He's not trying to control yeah. you and manipulate you. That he actually just wills your good. Um, I think that we have a hard time like believing in love as a free gift. And I think that we also get confused. We've talked about this in a previous show between the difference of loving versus pleasing. Right. That exactly. If I, if I was really loved, why am, why is all this bad stuff happening to me right yeah. now? Mm-hmm. 
I, I think that there's some fundamental confusion about what love is and who God is that no, interferes with exactly our right. ability to receive his love. Pick up your phone, go to Facebook. It's all over there. What you just said is all over there and represented in Facebook. Yeah, you're right. Uh, social media. Now, we, we like social media from the perspective of, you know, like us and share us. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But the reality but is... that's what that's for to a degree. It can, go, not, it can go too far. It can go haywire. Yeah, it goes way too far. And you see a lot of the, uh, the vitriolic, you know, the spewing forth of hatred uh, that happens. And it makes people feel terrible, too. I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm sort of scrolling through my little timeline there and going like, man, I'm suddenly feeling down. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, so I, just, I just think that people have a problem being loved. And I think the yeah. fact that, that the father would say publicly to the world, to, would reveal his love for his son does two things. One is it tells us that we too are loved. Yes. And also the fact that he would do that publicly sets up this beautiful gift of his son as the perfect sacrifice. Mm. The thing that is beloved is going to be sacrificed on our behalf. So God the Father offers his son as the ultimate sacrifice mm-hmm. for us and the fact that he loves him so tells us how much the father loves us and so we, we it's it's it may seem hard but we've got to accept we've got to accept that love what well, if you think about the work of jesus is to restore us to the in relationship with the father to to heal us and open us to where we might receive the blessing of the Father and be yeah. willing to receive his blessing and oh, during my. his ascension he commands them to go and baptize there you go. I mean, so that's uh, right. Exactly Pass it right. On. This is uh, this, so the, the the Lord. I mean, this is part of His plan. Yeah. Right, and that's one of the reasons why um, the Catholic Church teaches that baptism is necessary. Now, we don't just teach that because we made that up. Jesus said, "Unless you're born again of water and the Spirit, right? Unless right. you're born anew of water and Spirit, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God." And that's in the third chapter of John. And so we just kind of like go, "Well, Jesus is really serious about this." Mm-hmm. And we see all these connections to what happens in baptism. And then so for those of you who've been baptized, you're now being called. So every baptism of the Lord, we, we focus on Jesus's baptism, right? And we see this as the beginning of his public ministry, right? That's, that's when, you know, this, this starts again uh, for us in ordinary time. And we see the beginning of Jesus's public ministry in this, uh, in this baptism. And so it's like we realize that we're called. In our baptism, so we are called to live out our baptismal promises. Right? Yeah, I, I just realized it's you know last week we were celebrating the Epiphany, yeah. right, and uh, in Christ's manifestation to the world and baptism. That is by the the step by which we are manifested to the world as a son of the Father, mm-hmm. right. I love baptisms that take place during the context of the Mass. You don't see that as much anymore. Because uh, a lot of times people are like, "Well, it's gonna we're gonna we don't want to add too much time. We gotta have the confusion in the parking lot in between masses." But I remember one particular pastor that I had always loved to do it. And after it was it was terrible, but after he had seen the Lion King, yes, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> every, every every baptism, he, he held the, the baby. Yeah, he oh, held yeah. the baby. <laughs> you know, it's like All held the, the baby up. Are saluting. And everybody, there were a couple of big people there. Yes, but but they they would like uh, it was it was it was quite beautiful. But uh, I, I don't know if I want to do the uh, Lion King uh, song at, at uh, you know at mass. But I will say that it was a beautiful public witness. Right, it so is. so if you're a little junior, uh, a juniorette, 
is getting baptized, you know, you, the, the entire community, the, the parish welcomes them. Right, it's not like a private ceremony; it's a public manifestation. And if you think about it, in addition to the parish family, the church militant welcoming the church triumphant also welcomes. Because what do you do? You use the litany of the saints, and you even personalize the litany of the saints. Yeah. If the child's named Margaret, you include Saint Margaret as uh, in the litany. That's right. Even if in the Easter vigil, a lot of people don't realize that, that we when we sing that long litany of the saints, that's right uh, as the baptized. Uh, are going in the old days they would go from another a separate building mm. from the baptistry into the main church because now they were they were members of the church and then they could come and receive the other sacraments mm. there in the in the main in, in the main church and so this idea of the litany of saints and calling them calling them out by name you know and invoking their intercession upon your life now you know your newly baptized life it's a it's a beautiful imagery but it also calls us to a deeper relationship with god as his beloved mm-hmm. and a lot of us need to kind of step up and realize that and i i got to tell you one simple thing that you can do is recognize the great power and beauty and gift that we have in our catholic faith of a simple little holy water font at the entrance of the church and people think like what's the big deal you know with the holy water font but Listen, that's a huge deal because when you dip your hands in that holy water, you are essentially, when you do the sign of the cross in yourself, you are renewing your baptismal promises. Mm -hmm. And you're re-consecrating yourself and you are sort of re-upping your commitment to be a Christian. So it's it's a big deal. To dip your hands in the holy water. So don't, like, some people will, like, kind of wave their hand over the top of it. I'm not putting my hand in there. You know, and then they kind of do a little sign of the cross, a little whirly gig on their face or whatever, and they're not really intentionally doing it. I, I challenge you to step up this time and dip those hands in there. Get get at least three fingers wet. You know? <laughs> then then touch your forehead. Touch your, your, your belly. Touch each of your shoulders. Doing the sign of the cross and trace that cross on you. Put yourself up there with Jesus on that cross and basically renew yourselves as a Christian. And that's really going to give you the, the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit is literally going to come upon you. I mean, and that's what's That's what transforms your life. It's a great way to drive the devil out if the devil's on the attack in your life. And every time you do a baptism, Deacon Jeff, you're doing an exorcism as well. Amen, brother. Amen. Hmm. Yeah, so baptism's a good thing. The baptism (laughs) of the Lord is a great thing. And so renew your baptismal promises uh, in the baptism of the Lord. And so now we're going to end the program with our Blessed Mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes, or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.